You're listening to Working Together for Working Families, sponsored by the Pascal Sykes Foundation. Hello, I'm Jackie Edwards. Welcome to the Working Together for Working Families podcast, where we come together to highlight individuals and organizations working to help whole families reach their goals. And I am Rochelle Todd-Yamoa, and we are excited to kick off a two-part series, which we are titling Public Policy in Action, where we're going to discuss how a whole family approach has made its way into the public policy arena, particularly as it pertains to social services. Today, we will be looking at this through the lens of the state of New Jersey, where the Department of Children and Families, which will be referred to as DCF throughout the podcast, has made great strides in being intentional about connecting work happening with children and with adults in their lives. This work is being managed by an amazing woman who was fully committed to leaving the children in the state of New Jersey better off than when she took office. I am excited to welcome Christine Norbert Beyer, who was appointed by Governor Phil Murphy in January of 2018 to lead the New Jersey Department of Children and Families as the commissioner. As commissioner, she is redefining the agency as a prevention-focused child and family-serving department with a vision to help keep all New Jerseyans safe, healthy, and connected. Some of her initiatives include preventing maltreatment and promoting strong families, increasing kinship and familiar placements, supporting evidence-based data-driven contracting, reducing staff safety incidents, and involving the integrated inclusion system of care for children with behavioral and developmental diagnoses. Welcome, Commissioner Beyer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to have a conversation with you about all the great work happening at the department. It's a pleasure to have you. So for some of our listeners who may not be aware of the work of DCF, please tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So DCF is the state's cabinet-level department established in 2006 focused on issues involving children and families and overall child welfare. Specifically, DCF has four operating divisions, child protection and permanency, which includes the state's child abuse hotline, uh, investigating child abuse and neglect, foster care and adoption, and providing supportive and rehabilitative services to parents. We have the children's system of care, which includes all behavioral and mental health services, substance abuse services, and services to children with intellectual and developmental disabilities for ages five through 21. Although we are working to expand services to infants and toddlers, um, and those services are provided both in community and um, there are congregate care treatment options. We have the Division of Family and Community Partnerships, which is the division responsible for primary prevention services, including our family success centers, home visiting services, school-based youth services. Um, And FCP has recently expanded to include two new offices of family preservation and housing. And then finally, our fourth operating division is the division on women, which includes domestic violence and sexual violence programs, addresses confidentiality, I'm sorry, address confidentiality and uh, our displaced homemaker programs. And then DCF also operates 15 regional schools for at-risk and pregnant and parenting teens, which I don't think most people know about. 
So we're a large department. We have about 6,600 staff operating at out of 60 physical locations across all 21 counties. Great. Early on in your current position, you did a statewide tour aimed at listening to families and their needs. How has what you learned from those families helped shape the work of DCF? DCF and did you learn anything new on that tour? <laughs> I learned a lot on that listening <laughs> tour, a lot. Um, so I started on that venture about six months into my tenure as commissioner back in the fall of 2018. And at that time, I had invited Rutgers University researchers to participate with me and attend the individual sessions so that we could capture information that parents and young people around the state were telling me. And for your listeners, the information that we captured in that commissioner's listening tour report is available on the DCF website. So anyone can go and access that. But over about a three-month period, I traveled to all 21 New Jersey counties and heard directly from recipients of DCF services across all four of the operating divisions that I just previously shared. And so, you know, to give you just an example or a couple examples of what I learned, um, you know, the one really positive thing was hearing from parents that our prevention services were really very highly rated and that parents were extremely appreciative of all of those services that were offered. The second example was that I discovered that our children's system of care was lacking supports and services for children with intellectual and developmental disabilities. But in fairness, the system wasn't originally conceived with these children in mind. And so that was um, an opportunity for us now in this administration to take on the responsibility of improving services to meet their needs. But, you know, I'll say mostly I discovered that as a department, historically, we just didn't do a good job of engaging parents and young people into solutions that most affect them and their needs. And so, you know, it was just such an eye-opener for me to be able to hear directly from um, our constituency, and I got a lot of great ideas, um, many of which we incorporated and have continued to incorporate over these last four years of this administration. So family voice is important, and you talked a little bit about how you um, went your tour, you were able to listen to what families were, you know, hearing their concerns. Ongoing, what are your plans and do you have plans in place to continue, you know, to keep that in the forefront, the voice of the families? Absolutely. So as a result of that listening tour, I created an Office of Family Voice in January of 2019. So like the listening tour ended in December and then in January, we had this new Office of Family Voice. And that office reports directly to me, directly to the commissioner. And it's focused on engaging adults and youth with lived experience into conversations on policy, practice, and programming. The goal of that office is to shift the power dynamic, honestly, and move DCF to a place of shared leadership with families. And that's going to take some time. And so right now, within that office, over the last few years, have built a youth council, 
And our youth council consists of young people ages 16 to 23 um, who have they themselves been recipients of DCF services, either having been in foster care or um, currently active in our children's system of care, attending our regional schools. And when we convened that group, it was really with the goal of of helping them improve services to young people, improve foster care so that children who come into care behind them would be better off or have more opportunities. And like, that's one example, but that youth council has created a new program around youth mentoring, peer mentoring. They have written legislation that is right now at the governor's office and we have some legislative support for. And just overall, they are making changes and suggestions for how we can better support young people in our system. And so that's something that we are currently recruiting for our second class of youth council members, but that's something that we want to continue to live on. And similarly, we have um, a work group for fathers with lived experience and a whole fatherhood engagement committee. We are looking to expand to a program or a work group for parents more generally, but all with the goal of having them included in decision-making having them inform our policy and practice. And as I said, you know, really moving to shared leadership with families, Mm -hmm. because what I've learned is when you have parents at the table or you have young people at the table, the conversation and the solutions are so different than when it's just the professionals. Because we really don't look at things the same way. And I will say, I I feel like our services and our conversations are richer for, you know, including people with lived experience. And so my hope is to encourage our provider community, you know, those agencies we contract with, that they too will more fully incorporate constituent voice into their work. It's really great the work that you're doing with um, around youth and the focus on youth. You know, the Pascal Sykes Foundation does champion, you know, working with whole families. And you just gave us some really good examples of how you're bringing in that family voice. Just, you know, just to maybe drill down a little further. Are there, you know, really specific areas where the parents and youth are working together? And maybe it's not necessarily parent as we think of it, but it could be grandparents or other social supports are actually working together with the, the youth to, um, to make some of those policy suggestions or changes to your programming. Are there specific areas where that's happening? Yeah, um, I do have a couple of examples. I mean, I really believe that everything we do at DCF is through the lens of a two-generation approach. Like, it just has to be. Children exist within a family structure, and it's our responsibility to help strengthen families. And I know that, you know, there are critics of child welfare and of, you know, our system generally um, that would say that our role is that we separate children from their families. 
But honestly, our number one priority is really to preserve families and to help them grow stronger. And I don't know that we've done a good job as a system really relaying that and through bringing parents and young people to the table to help inform our policy and practice and programming, I think, you know, it, we will start to turn the corner where people will hopefully view DCF as an organization that is about strengthening and supporting families and preventing maltreatment and preventing adverse childhood experiences and one that really is promoting uh, parents and, you know, we want to move to be a system where we're doing more to prevent removal, to um, prevent maltreatment, to prevent adverse childhood experiences from occurring, to building resiliency through promoting protective factors, through, you know, supports for parents that are what they need in real time, like when they're asking for it. And ultimately that we are a system that is really focused on primary prevention and supporting families before they ever become a call to the hotline. And so, you know, some examples I think of where we've been doing that work really well for a number of years is through our family success centers. And the family success centers, which we have 57 of them across all 21 counties, those are community-based um, supports that you don't have to be involved or engaged in any other part of our DCF families, you know, services that anyone in the community can access or go into a family success center for any number of support issues. But the Family Success Centers, their programming is driven by what families are requesting. And there's a lot of opportunity in those programs for children and their parents together to participate in activities. And so many of them do cooking activities or, you know, many of them have really what they consider like sober living activities to really help engage parents and teach parents how to appropriately engage with their children, to um, find activities to be able to do together with their children that promotes a positive relationship, that promotes family, and at the same time might then give some additional relief to the parent, you know, that there would be other opportunities or activities for the children to participate in on their own, or it's a safe place for parents to come to meet other parents in their community, to ask about how to access resources for their children. We have family success centers that are helping adults become citizens, take their a citizen test to be, you know, a naturalized citizen. So I guess I would just say overall that the family success centers are a best example of a two-gen approach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've been in existence now for over 10 years. But then the other, you know, opportunities that I think we have are around our kinship services and 
you know, as we within the Division of Child Protection and Permanency are working to place children with relatives or with kin, if in fact they have to be removed from their biological parents and go into foster care, keeping them in familiar setting or familiar surroundings with people who love them, who know them, really also helps to not sever the family bonds to keep children connected to, to their family, to their school, their community. And so there's a lot of work that we're doing in the department now to increase the number of children placed with relatives. And I think that is also something going forward that I think speaks directly to, you know, the two-generation approach. Thank you. I think that's really important. All of it's really important, but I think about when kids are removed from their home and they have to be placed in another placement, it's great that you're able to keep those kids, get them transported to their schools so they still have some sense of a normal life and they're not switching from school to school. I can't stress how important the family voice is, and you've you shared about the Family Success Center, but who are some of your other partners that you work with around strengthening families? Well, I think um, the various providers in the community that we contract with to support and strengthen families, I think primarily are our partners. And, you know, I give the example of the family success centers. And I think, you know, that certainly those are agencies or organizations that have that family strengthening model in mind. As you said, the work that we're doing with parents and having our parents be um, true partners as we're moving to really wanting to share leadership in a very different way. We also have, you know, philanthropic partners that we have engaged with over the years, but I would say more recently, you know, we've been trying to reach out into the philanthropic community. I mean, Pascal Sykes certainly has been um, a partner of ours in this work in and around strengthening families. The two-gen work that you're doing, I think, is just so instrumental in terms of expanding that vision and bringing other kind of non-traditional partners to the table. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the way that we're going to be able to further transform our systems. You know, we've been on a journey of reform within the department since 2003, even before we were a department, right, which was established in 2006. But we've gotten to the place in our reform effort where we've kind of pushing the boundaries on reform. And really what's required now is transformation and like full system transformation. And being able to include our non-traditional partners like business partners and the philanthropic community in addition to our parents and our service providers, I think is really going to help elevate the work that we're trying to do and strengthen families in, and really kind of build resiliency in communities you know, to a level that we just haven't seen before. And so we have national um, consultants and national philanthropic partners, as well as, you know, our local partners. You know, an example of that, I think, is also 
our um, ACES statewide plan and the Office of Resilience that we created here within DCF in partnership with, you know, three New Jersey philanthropic partners, uh, the Burke Foundation, the Terrell Fund, and the Nicholson Foundation supported um, hiring an executive on loan to help build that office and that work. And while that position is housed within DCF, it really is a statewide position that is focused on building self-healing communities, building resiliency in individuals, in families, and in, you know, overall communities. And so those activities and efforts, I think, are further strengthened when um, we bring together voices that we've not heard from or we've not invited in to the conversations in the past. And I think that's the difference. And I think in what we're trying to do now is being very deliberate and having chairs at the table for new and different partners. And I think, you know, I, I've said this already, I have seen the richness in our work and what we've been able to accomplish that, you know, I, I really haven't seen in my 30 plus years in this field. Well, I'm really excited to hear about all the projects and things that you have going on. You know, in my career, I've worked with families in different capacities. And I think it's great when families feel that there is some a place for them to go because families know what they need. They may not have the tools, but at least if they can get to some, some resources that can help them to uh, put together the, the tools that they need to, to keep their families together. So we would just like to know from you if you're working on any new projects that you would like to share with us. You've shared some really great projects, but, you know, and, and that's great. It sounds like you've seen some impact on some of those projects that you're working on. But are you working on anything new that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes, I am, actually. Um, we uh, probably since 2019, I would say we've been incubating what I originally was calling the big idea, but now actually has a name, which is Powerful Families, Powerful Communities. And um, the, the idea here is that we are moving to invite parents and young people individuals who have um, lived experience in our system, whether that be as a foster parent, a kinship parent, um, a young person maybe who previously was in foster care, um, a parent who had an open DCPP case or maybe had their child removed from them previously and then were able to be reunified. Bringing together those individuals and those voices into a co-design process. And so that working jointly with the department and with some of our national consulting partners to design new interventions and alternatives to foster care. And I, I say that because we know that foster care is an extremely severe intervention. It is the most severe intervention that child protective service agencies employ in the effort to keep children safe. But we also know that our work is to try and keep families together and keep children safe in their family when that's possible. 
you know, previously I mentioned about kinship and our efforts within the department to place children with relatives or with people familiar to them where there's a previous established relationship if in fact they have to come into foster care. And so Powerful Families, Powerful Communities has the goal of creating conditions in the communities across the state where children don't have to go into non-familiar foster care or non-kin foster care. We're really trying to move to a system where we are providing um, supports and services to families early and often and close to home so that they get the help and the services that they need to keep children from entering foster care. And then if they do have to come into foster care, they're placed with family. So keeping, I have a question. I'm sorry to interrupt you. When you're talking about the family and keeping uh, children together in a family unit, are you looking at individuals that are outside of the family? It could be an aunt, uncle, or friend, a neighbor that is willing to support that family Are you saying that DCF would support that individual around supporting those families? Yeah, and that is our kinship care, right? It is when a child um, is determined to need to go into foster care to be removed from their biological parent, we then approach grandparents, aunts, uncles, next door neighbors, maybe a teacher, somebody who the child has identified and or someone the parents have identified. And then we approach those individuals and we train them as foster parents and they get the same um, room and board and supports that any traditional foster parent would get while they are caring then for their kin or fictive kin children. So that's different than your powerful families, powerful communities project. Yeah, that, what I just explained is how our division of child protection and permanency functions every day, right? So that is just in the normal course of business. And it's only this year in 2021 that we have now more children in foster care placed with relatives than placed in a traditional foster care setting, someone that they didn't have a relationship prior to going into foster care. So there's been a lot of work done in that area. Powerful Families, Powerful Communities is connecting with with communities, with people with lived experience in our system, coming together in co-design teams to design new interventions or new ways of supporting parents in community. So they never become a call to the hotline. So they never have to experience their children going into foster care. And so really, you know, Powerful Families, Powerful Communities is in its infancy. It's something that is being built as a 501c3, kind of outside of the Department of Children and Families, where we will work in partnership with families and with this, you know, outside entities and contracted agencies to be able to then build these services that families have identified. And again, 
what we're trying to build here is primary prevention services and supports that then the department DCF will be able to work in connection with, um, but that it's not something that uh, the department solely is driving. Well, thank you for that information. And I think a lot of what you described um, is really the result of these public private partnerships that you've been creating. And it certainly has been developed through the Pascal Sykes Foundation and DCF together. We, as you mentioned, we've worked together to really help strengthen families. And it seems like that is continuing with your approach, um, especially around the Powerful Family, Powerful Communities program. And so, you know, it's really great to share that with our listeners, how these public-private partnerships really help to really um, strengthen the work that is happening. And it also um, puts more accountability to the community who's involved in these programs. So I really um, thank you uh, for sharing that. That's all the time that we have for today. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Nice talking to you. And for our listeners, if you are interested in learning more about any of the programs that were mentioned during this podcast, the Kinship Program, Powerful Families, Powerful Communities, the Office of Family Voice, we will have links to those programs in the summary um, of the podcast. Be sure to join us next month for another episode of Working Together for Working Families. Working Together for Working Families, sponsored by the Pascal Sykes Foundation, is published monthly. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about the Whole Family Approach, visit our website, wholefamilyapproach.org.